welcome and thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Bala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send us your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV and Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests will do our best to respond to you live. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the founder CEO of Constellation Research. He's best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, ZDNet, and other publications. Often I see him on CNBC and Fox Business News uh, lately. And in my humble opinion, one of the best follows on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. Welcome to here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar. More importantly, the Chief Digital Evangelist of Salesforce, one of the top followers on Twitter for CIOs and CMOs, and a following that keeps growing and growing around the world. Everyone says, who's that guy next to me? It's Bala Afshar. But more importantly, we've got some awesome guests this week. Some of the top thinkers on customer, CRM, CX, and really what's happening in the world of enterprise and software and SMB all in one place. Who do we have today? Okay, please indulge me for the next minute or two. I'm gonna give a brief bio of our guests. We're gonna start with Paul Greenberg, who's the founder and managing principal of the 56 Group, an advisory firm focused on CRM strategic services. Paul's book, CRM at the Speed of Light, is in his fourth edition, nine languages. It's been called the Bible of the CRM industry. It's been used in more than 70 universities as primary text. Paul is considered a thought leader in CRM, often called the godfather of CRM. He was elected to CRM Magazine CRM Hall of Fame in 2010, the first non-vendor related thought leader in its history. You can follow, uh, follow Paul on his regularly published articles on CBS ZD, ZDNet property and on Twitter at PGreenB, P-G-R-E-E-N-B-E. -E -E. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Paula. <laughs> Next, we have Esteban Kolsky, Esteban's principal and founder of ThinkJar, advisory and research think tank, focus on customer strategies. He has over 25 years of experience in customer service, CRM consulting, research and advisory services. He spent eight years at Gartner, focused on customer service and CRM research. He advises Fortune 500, Global 2000 organizations and startups on all aspects of CRM deployments. You can follow Esteban and his work at estebankolsky.com. Amazing articles. I take those articles, publish them myself, and get a bunch of Twitter followers as a result. So thank you, Esteban. Glad <laughs> to be here. <laughs> we are talking about darts, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Hoyos, a managing partner and founder of Solvis Consulting. Uh, Jesus has over 22 years, 22 years of experience providing leadership in the execution of CRM and MarTech initiatives. Jesus consults on business processes, requirements, project management, quality assurance, business cases, and best practices. He's an independent analyst, speaker, blogger, influencer of CRM, MarTech, and social media industry in Latin America and beyond. A fantastic follow on Twitter at Jesus underscore H-O-Y-O-S. Welcome, Jesus, to Disrupt TV. Thank you. And lastly, but not least, Brent Leary is co-founder and partner of CRM Essentials, an Atlanta-based CRM advisory firm covering tools and strategies for improving business relationships. He's the chair of the CRM Evolution 2019 CRM Magazine's annual industry event. He's an award-winning blogger. He writes for ZDNet, CRM Magazine, Atlanta Tribune, and much more. He hosts a weekly one-on-one -on -one conversation for small business trends and co-hosts two video podcasts, CRM Players <laughs> and Watching Amazon. 
In fact, he's working on his next book, Amazon Effect, how new customer culture is creating crazy new business opportunities and killing companies that won't adapt. Be on the lookout for that in 2019. He's another amazing follow on Twitter at Brent Leary, B-R-E-N-T-L-E-A-R-Y. Welcome, Brent. <laughs> Thanks, man. And I forgot the most important thing, Rams fan. Rams fan, Rams fan. I tell you, this year, uh, that's a good hat to wear. Uh, this year. <laughs> You'll be watching out for that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's start with not predictions. All right. So I know we all not predictions. People are sick of predictions. But hey, all right. Let's talk about CRM. Is it dead? If it's not, what's next? What's going on? People are saying, is there a renaissance? Totally confused out there in the market. So anybody, jump in. It's dead. What's the next question? No, it's, it's the not. Next question. All right. It's not. Dead. Why um, it's morphed, though. It's, it's look, morphed. So some of this is going to be whether you believe Gartner or not. That's up to you. I don't care. Uh, they've, they've said it's a $40 billion industry. Probably reasonably close to accurate. It's, they've said double-digit growth for the next several years. Can't speak to that one way or the other. But what I can speak to is that it's morphed, right? It's actually changed from, I mean, let's put it this way. I prefer it to be more strategic than it turned out to be, meaning focused on the broader aspects of strategy and philosophy and, and so on. But ultimately, what it is is operational at this point. It essentially has become a must-have technology for sales, marketing, customer service operations. As a, and it primarily becomes also a, a kind of core operational core for a kind of a broader strategy around customer engagement. Okay, you forgot e-commerce. And e well, I don't consider that CRM. I consider that e-commerce. Yeah, but, but I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's actually interesting that he said it's morphing because I, I used to have this uh, slide where I put a, the three letters CRM and then I asked when people say, what's next? And I said, well, next is CSM because S comes after R in my alphabet. Same <laughs> is customer success management. So, but, but it, strategically speaking, if you really think about it, customer success management is about, you know, the next step for CRM. It's not about collecting data, but it's about actually using the data, generating insights, creating business value and alter, altering the business as you go along. So, you know, I, I can't even make a good joke without being reality. That's how good I am at this stuff. Well, the, the, is, it, is it experience management? Is that the next step? Yeah, well, that's the next one. Well, it's 1995 now, right? Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I see it. I see it. If you're an enterprise, are you still doing CRM? I mean, you're far behind. Yep. Uh, you know, you got to move to the next level. But you're a small business and you start doing CRM. This is the perfect time because, you know, you, you see now companies like HubSpot and Sendes that are moving to CRM. And, you know, it's, it's perfect for you, you know, yeah, since dude, you're really. looking at it's going like this. But if you're coming from, from Outlook and Excel, I mean, jumping to, you know, uh, the senders and the house point, the small business, yeah, it's perfect for you. You're doing CRM. Let me, let me take that one step further, right? Why do you need to store data in today's day and, and, and age about anything, transactions, people, relationships, whatever? Why don't you just conduct the transaction through some of these like 600 million apps that exist? Take Vimo to get, you know, to get paid. Uh, take, you know, Square to get paid, uh, use, you know, Bitcoin if you don't want to use currency or you're between countries. You can conduct a transaction without keeping track of it at all. And, and like it's conducted and it's, it's great. And most small businesses, that's the way they operate. So why would you actually burden a business with the whole infrastructure complexity and, and, and cost of having CRM? Well, uh, 
Were you going to say something, Brent, or otherwise I will? No, go, go ahead. I'll, okay. I'll, well, I was just, look, I mean, I'll, it's still... Let, let the cat talk, too. Yeah, way. well, this is Annie, <laughs> by the way. Annie! Now locked in here for an hour. Um, right, so here's the thing. I mean, ultimately, if we're looking at why CRMs morph into something more operational and why it's focused, it does go to the heart of customer records, but then again, there's, there's a caveat to what I'm about to say. So... Um, meaning customers, we want to know customers better, theoretically, at least if we're in business, we want to know something more about customers than we actually know. And we want to thus identify more personalized kind of interactions with them or optimize offers if that's the way you're going, which is why you see all the discussions around kind of the journey and all this other things that are going on. The caveat is in a static record, which is pretty much what historically it's had, um, that only goes so far. So now there's a much more of a, a move to, let's call it dynamic use of data, right? Um, meaning as the data is being accumulated and then measured against its past, it's being, actions are being realized as close to real time as you possibly can. I, now, is, it, is that an ideal state now? Not even close. But we're beginning to, a lot of companies begin to look at it. I had an interesting discussion this morning with Zoom Info, for example, which was striking. I haven't talked to them ever, but, um, but they're, without going into a lot of detail, they're taking what was their past and let's say completely revamping it around moving from kind of a static approach to data to a more dynamic one. I can't speak to whether it'll work or not. I don't know because they're just beginning to do this, but the, the concept is in, at least beyond, let's just say a broad concept. They're beginning to put things in place to do it. And you know that aligns with the fact we've got to react and interact with customers now more quickly than we ever have before. And so, yeah, there is a purpose for capturing data and, but, it's, but at the same time, you know, data itself has become much more dynamic than it was. Well, and, and to that, uh, Paul, you know, we can call it, you know, the multiple clouds, the different platform, because, you know, all the vendors are moving towards that. Uh, if you don't have a common data model, you're still going to be working on silos. And you're going to have all this dynamic data moving between clouds and system. But if you don't have a common data model for the consumer or the customer, you know, you can call it CRN, you can call it customer engagement, but if you don't have that common data model, you, you know, you're still going to have those issues, you know, of, of you know, trying to integrate and you still want to have silos, even though you have integration. Why, why, why do you need a model? Why don't you just process a transaction and then move on? How do I know your phone number? You, you, my information where do I look, where do I look for your phone number? Even though Ray will disagree with me, all our information is available in six million places to anybody who wants to find it. Yeah, but not everybody has the capabilities to do it. But you, you will, need to have that common model. Esteban, you wrote in your 2018 customer service study that the new model for operational excellence has to be outcome first, has to be customer centric, has to be data driven, has to have automation focus, and lastly, has to be ecosystem based. Yeah. How do you do those five pillars if you don't have, as Azu said, not because only the model? You're, you're still, you're still focusing. The, the, the question you're asking is still focused on entities. You know, there's a customer entity, there's a company entity, there's a product entity, the you know, objects entities, whatever you want to call them. Your entity. Whatever you want to call it. The phone number entity. 
you know, if you're going to create transactions based on entities, yeah, CRM has a place in this world. But transactions are not created on entities anymore. Transactions happen because it's an outcome. You're actually seeking an outcome. You're leveraging an ecosystem to get all the different pieces and all the different components in place. You're actually focused on the data that is re relevant to that outcome at that time. You know, I, I bring my phone number to the transaction. He says, how do you get my phone number? You don't get it. I manage the transaction, not you. I don't want you calling me. I need you to identify myself. I'll give you my information. You identify me, you conduct the transaction. It yeah, changes. If you, if you get rid of the concept of like entities actually controlling something and you get more towards a, a, a world in which like, you know, things just happen. Uh, you, you, you still, you still data model. You need, you need to understand who's the customer. I mean, that's, I mean, I, I mean, for I'm me, the, people, even, I know, but even, even you might disagree with me, uh, you know, Facebook is the one who has everything about us because we're giving everything to them and they have the right phone number. I mean, uh, during the elections in Florida, you know how many politicians text me and call me, calling me Cynthia Hoyos because they don't have a data model. They don't understand who Jesus Hoyos is. I mean, they need to have that. I mean, I, I think that's something that, you know, they need to have it. You're stuck in like 1992, and I'm okay with that. No, <laughs> I, I do this every day. I mean, I do this every day. And if you don't have the common data model from whatever information you get it, call a CRN, call a customer engagement, you still have it. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Jesus, on this one. Although I will say one thing about common data models that I'm a little concerned about is they're really political. Um, I agree, yeah. And that, that's one of my, that's one, I have a real concern over those. Uh, I, I've talked with multiple companies in the last few weeks about common data models, the open data initiative, all these other things that are going on. And ultimately it's somebody trying to alpha out everybody else, right? And own the, how do you own a common data model? <laughs> all I did. Yeah. I, no, I, and look at what happened today, you know, with the, you know, the, the leak Marriott. of the Marriott. Yeah, so I mean, mm -hmm. that, I agree. And you know we need we need the GPR for the United States. I mean we need we need that. We need uh, we need to control our own data. Right? That's that's there's no easy answer for that. Brent, you recently wrote about small businesses maybe perhaps slow to adopt CRM and what are, what were some of the benefits of having CRM for small business? Your thoughts on all of this in terms of in terms of small business adoption of CRM? I'm I'm sitting here thinking you know. And this is not just for the SMBs, but would a company like Amazon be able to do what they do if they didn't have some sort of a, uh, a way to keep information, customer information and use it in real time? Okay. So, I mean, I don't see how you can go without something. You could call it CRM, you could call it customer engagement. There's absolutely no way this stuff is going away. It actually is getting more important because the uh, the amount of attention it takes to turn a prospect into a customer and then keep them all the way through the transaction and keep them as long as you can as a customer takes takes a lot of data to turn that data into insights and interactions that make you want to stick around and so you know maybe it's not the crm of old and thank god because <laughs> crm back in the day was a four-letter word what's what's the deal by the way i wrote that blog post in 2001 but what what's the, what's the what what's the deal with you guys wanting to control why do you want to control your customers why do you want to have prospects convert into customers why don't you give customers the power to do whatever the hell they want and then create a good product and see how it happens didn't uh, steve Jobs say something about sometimes the customers don't know what they want until you give it to them the, I, I think it doesn't have to be either or. It's co-creation of value. Yeah. 
Exactly. And the first time I heard about CRM going away was three years ago. My company was doing five billion in revenue. Next year, the guidance is sixteen billion. So let's keep talking about it going. Yeah, but that, that was because. <laughs> Let's, let, we cannot talk about Salesforce, okay? So let, let's skip that. No, 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 I agree. I agree. Yeah. I don't know why I brought it up. Sorry. No, okay. So, uh, you want to you wanna open the door? I'll be glad no, to go no, into no, that. Well, you know what? Let me add to this. I mean, you know, right now, you know, um, I already had a, a, a podcast, a video in Spanish with Esteban about this, the CDP. You know, we have CDP, DMP. MDM, CRN, and everybody's saying, you don't need CRN. And DAS, and DAS. And, das. Right. and all of them can be taken out by an EMP. <laughs> <laughs> the blast. Electromagnetic So what's wrong with that? I mean, why to all of a sudden we have all these uh, new technologies? We really had, so we've had a conversation we had in Spanish and English. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's face it, that's the problem. I mean, it, it's not the not the issue of people don't need something. It's that it, they don't get what they want from one. And so they're, we're constantly searching for things to help us do it better. You know? Okay. And, so so if, that, look, if I'm a customer, <laughs> I, want, I, I do want to actually know that the company knows something about me so that I can, I don't, they don't waste my time. I, I, I let's invert this. Let's invert this. Let's invert this. Let's say that I'm willing to share all my information, but only with certain people for certain things, and I'm in control of that information, right? There's a default standard of minimum. BRM. Right? We all agree to that. I think we actually can get something very, very interesting out of this, right? This is blockchain I'll, I'll give you. Okay. I'll give you my Twitter so, feed. You know, you know, there's a problem when Ray is willing to share his information to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> But that's a thing. better. I, I mean, we're seeing something happen in the world of blockchain that's interesting. It's called zero knowledge proofs, ZKP, right? Where you can transact without having to reveal your identity, but you can validate that there is someone on the other end, yeah. right? And so there are ways where we're actually going to be able to do these things and be able to save our sanity in terms of our personal data and also be able to get, you know, the benefits that people wanted in terms of, hey, I, I do want to be targeted, come after me, or I don't want to be targeted, here's why. But I think those things are going to start to evolve. Right now, the reason we have DMP, CDP, you know, an MDM system, right, all over the map is because we're using it for really, really purpose-built things. And these purpose-built use cases suck, right? Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to match third-party data with first-party data and maybe do a little bit of advertising and then run tag management pretty soon, like 500 different products running in my company, right? Yeah, but you know what? And you go back to the same. It goes back to control, right? I mean, we're so used to not having control, to let the government, let the corporations, let everybody else have control of everything. And I am not making a humanity pitch here, so don't confuse me because I think that's a crock. But, you know, but, but we're so used to letting somebody else control the data that, that we're, we're desperate to gain some control. You know, uh, Doc Searles and VRM is one of the starting points for this, and he's doing some, some very interesting work. But, you know, we, we talk about blockchain, which is a bad implementation, but it's a good idea. There's many ways to do it. We're like, you know, nobody has to be in control. You know, zero, proof, zero, zero knowledge proof is, is an excellent way to, 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 to talk about what I was just saying. You know, it's like, you want to do something? I'll provide the information that you need to do that. You provide the information that you need. We conduct the transaction, and then we go away. You want to retain my information? Ask me. Right? You ask me. You, I want to retain your information. And then I decide whether I want to enter the transaction or not. Well, that's kind of GDPR, isn't it? 
It's, um, it is no, what it's different. Yeah. GDPR is about store data. This is about like, you know, the company keeps the data. This is about like you owning the data and bringing it to, 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 to bear when you need it. And, and, you know, more than likely in, in Ray's case and in my case, I will, I will walk away from a transaction that wants to return my data. Well, I don't know that that differs from GDPR all that much. Uh, the point being, if I don't, with GDPR, if I don't want you to control my data, you can't. If I don't want you to have my data, you can't, right? It's as simple as that. I mean, you know, I mean, it's probably a little more complex than that. But, but the point being that I, I happen to agree, look, you know, how many years have you known me for calling about the customer's control of the conversation, the customer, and ultimately I'm a control freak anyway, right? When it comes to me, right? I'm, I'm a total control freak. Right, I, I lose sleep if I don't have control over what I do. Right, and, uh, and if your dream, if your dream right. isn't going the right way, you stop. No, that's right. <laughs> then I wake up. <laughs> really puts me in an infinite loop too. But I'm tired. <laughs> so, oh no, that's, that's infinite, infinite ambient but, orchestration. You know, the thing is that, that <sighs> you look at um, you look at the way data. If you look at the way G, the GDPR was created and why it was created the way it was too, it basically was to turn back control. And we have, look, we have stores and stores of data, but ultimately if I say, hey, now theoretically, at least in GDPR specific term, uh, I want you to erase all of my data from you and I'll come back to you when I want. Technically you've got to do that. It doesn't mean you, anyone will and they'll probably violate it, but, um, but Theoretically, the mechanism to do that is already existing. And the second side of that is, you know, to your point about Doc Searles and the work he did. I mean, look, the biggest issue with the work of VRM, I was a huge early doctor of VRM. I used to talk to Doc about it all the time. And, but the problem that it always had was not that it was, wasn't great in concept, it was. But it never, there was no way to execute with it. There was no way to do anything. Right? It didn't have the apps. It didn't have the capability to for the customer themselves to actually do that. You know, and plus we live in a world that does have institutions. It's not, you know, it's not, and consequently have to interact mm -hmm. with those institutions. And the institutions have, but on the other hand, the institutions have to interact with us too. Uh, and meaning, you know, I, I, I might tell them, look, you can have some of my data, you can't have all of it, but the next, if I give them that permission, the next time I deal with them, I'm going to expect them to do something with what I gave them, meaning I gave it to them for a reason. And as a result of that, they better show me the reason I gave it to them, meaning I gave it to you. So I didn't have to keep repeating myself over and over with you when I right. deal with you all the time. I mean, just imagine if I had to, or any of us had to keep dealing with Amazon each time we buy on it, that would be nuts. And I'd never buy on it either. Right, that would be absolutely does, given especially how much I'm yeah. sure the sum total yeah. of it. And that's out. why, yeah, and that's why you know we give certain pieces of information because it's supposed to be a value exchange. You know, I want my stuff quick. I don't want to have to go through a hassle of getting it. You know, and and in return, I'll give you enough that you need to give me that, and I'm good with that. Now, when they when whatever company abuses that, then of course you want to cut them off. But you, you got to give a little to get a little, and you and it'd be nice. Like Esma, well, Esma doesn't give anything. <laughs> well, you bring a good point because you know, especially now that you know most of us are you know we travel all over. I mean, I you know uh, American they supposedly know me, you know, for the last twenty years, 
and I only gave my first last name, email, and phone number to JetBlue. And JetBlue knows more about me right now because of what I, you know, the way we, you know, interact with each other and the customer experience is perfect. We're going through clear, like the airport. I gave my, you know, my thumbprint and my my eye print because I don't want to wait in that long line on a Monday morning at the Hartsfield Jackson. That'll take you like three hours where I give them a little bit and I can get in there in 10, mi 10 minutes. A little Five. bit. Dude, you give your eye. Freaking lie. Ah, what's an eye? What's an eyeball? Oh, here's my iris scan. Keep it. Do with it whatever you want. Put it in a database that anybody can hack. And then in 10 hey. years, we'll tell you the Isn't that what Henny Youngman said? Take my eye scan, please. I mean, so Ray, I'm going to start with you with this question and then we'll go to our guest. 2018, and I'll start with my, 2018 was the year of blank. And my, 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 I'm filling the blank with voice enabled technologies or, or natural language processing. I think that was really, uh, really great momentum in 2018. What are you, how would you fill the blank? 2018 was the year of 2018 was the year of lost opportunity. <laughs> a lot of people were still trying to figure out what to do in their tech stacks. Platforms were all starting to emerge from everybody. But the problem was nobody knew what they were trying to do. I mean, they didn't have a business plan. Everybody was just trying to jump to the latest technology. So it was so like shiny. In, in, like in, 18, in 18, you were in Davos and you said all everyone was talking about was blockchain. Um, and then you went to Consumer Electronics Show and everybody had their device through an API where you could talk to it. Um, but is there a technology that stood out this year that, that you think it, it, it was kind of the start of a, a potential revolution or great adoption? I, I think everyone started to figure out that they wanted something in AI, but it was really just the next best action, right? And I think people didn't even know what next best action they wanted. They just knew they wanted to do something in AI. Right. So I, I think that's what I'm trying to say is a lost opportunity here because people couldn't figure out the technologies they needed, but is because they didn't understand what they were trying to achieve with customers. Right. You often hear me say this, like loyalty is dead. People are trading loyalty for privacy. People are trading loyalty for convenience. People are trading loyalty for status. People are trading loyalty for value exchange. Um, when what the problem is, people are just so fickle. Um, the whole point of having AI is to make sure that you understand what they need before they need it but we don't have enough data to get there, right? And that's the challenge. So, so I think we're gonna be exploring this for quite some time. Jesus, yes. the, lack, the, the lack of customer-centric projects. You know, we talk about digital transformation, but nobody's talking about, you know, who's the customer, and, you know, how to implement something for the customers, you know, going back to what, you know, what Ray is saying, you know, there's no business plan to be customer-centric. And a lot of people, for me, are still confusing digital transformation with customer-centric. So we still lack that, you know, and a company needs to, you know, define that and then define this, their stack and move forward. Going back to that, that customer data model, Esteban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I, I want to have a model. I have a model for you right here. Go ahead, Esteban. What was 2018 the year of? 2018 is the year, the, the year capitalism died, but you won't know this for another five years. Right. You always like to be ahead of the game, don't you? Yeah. I could bring you all the crap that I wrote in 2008 and, and change, the, change the data, and you'd be like, whoa, this is really cool. Is that your prediction for 2018? So, no, my 2008 prediction. Esteban, was 2018 the year where chief operating officers now have real gravitas in business because the so operational they excellence? Started, they started doing that. So, so that's, that, that transition started about three years ago. Uh, okay. where we actually created 
two parts of the company. This is actually a serious question, serious answer because I have this research now. Yay! <laughs> so, three years ago, we started seeing we started seeing the company split into two: uh, tactical and strategic. But but true strategic, not just you know, hey, let's do a strategy. Let's bring like you know, uh, PwC or, or or any of the other guys who do a horrible job. You know, true strategic, like you know, thinking long term, thinking into the future. Uh, the COO took care of the, the tactical part. Uh, CIOs. Uh, customer service, operations, uh, employee, HR, all that stuff became part of the COO. And their deep focus was make sure the company runs the best way possible. Uh, the, the CEO, uh, aided by the CMO back then, but no longer because they proved to be horrible, uh, actually focused on the strategy side of, of, of things. And then with that, with that focus, they went two, three years ago into hiring these uh, management consultants to build the, the, the digital transformation and business transformation strategies. And we're starting to see in the last six months, the initial implementation of those strategies, which are being run by the COO and directed by the COO in accordance with the business strategy. Wow. That's wow. the last serious answer you'll get from me. That was a very complete serious answer. <laughs> so, so Brent, you've got what, 70 million households with smart speakers um, and you know what, what is one in three homes in the US now are where folks are talking to things and, and now these devices have screens. So you're not just getting a discrete one point answer. You can now ask for the latest Nike shoe and on a screen see multiple options and click to a shopping cart. And now you have potentially something that can turbocharge e-commerce uh, with, with this uh, ambient computing environment that's now in our homes and eventually in our work. Is voice something that's uh, going to really change things significantly? All right. So uh, first, let me answer the what I thought was uh, two eighteen was the year of Rams. That's first. <laughs> that's first. Now let me ask Alexa: uh, Is uh, twenty eighteen the year of voice? No, uh, she she didn't know how to answer that, so maybe it isn't. But I would say. <laughs> I would say 2018 was definitely a breakout year for voice. Uh, I mean, let's face it, you named some of the stats, uh, but now we're starting to go beyond stats and we're seeing just a, a whole bunch of use cases going beyond the B2C kind of thing. Uh-oh, somebody, somebody is holding up something. Alexa. <laughs> Alexa. Okay. Paper. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, you can ask for that too. Um, but you know, you're seeing it. I'm talking to a lot of the, the vendors and there was a point of delineation this year. I, I know we can't talk about one vendor, but our specific vendors, or I don't know if we can or not, but- uh, You can talk before, about any vendor you want. All right, so, all right. So before uh, Dreamforce, I was asking- oh, no, You, you cannot talk about Salesforce because they pay the bill here. So if you start- <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Go ahead. All right, but this is actually a true story. All right, so. Before Dreamforce, I was talking to a lot of different CRM vendors, asking them about what's going on with them in terms of voice. I don't know why I can't keep this thing in my head. Anyway, so everyone that I talked to, or most of the, the majority of the big guys that I was talking to, very low on their priority list. They, did, they weren't really seeing it as something that was a, a need that customers are asking for. Uh, same message every time I talked to them. Now, go to Dreamforce, Einstein voice, front and center on uh, Dreamforce. I started circling back and around because I, I wanted to see if anything had changed. Significant different messaging. <laughs> not, not things happening operationally yet, but the message was, 
we're, we're, we're accelerating our efforts. We, we want to be able to catch the wave. What happened with Einstein AI announcement in 2016? Before that, there wasn't a lot of talk about AI from a CRM perspective. And now we know where we are today with it. So I think people are saying we do not want to be left behind because, you know, AI and voice together is really what I think is going to drive things. Yeah. So they don't want to be behind an AI or voice at this point. So I think 2019 stands to be a really significant year when it comes to voice integration into the enterprise, into more than B2C, but also B2B use cases. And even that, I think, is, is just going to be like third, I mean, second or third inning, so to speak, with that. Yeah. And, and I, I want to add something, though. Vision is going to be big, too, in 2019. Yeah. So the fact that you can see Vision, vision is great in 2020. Nah, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you're right, Ray. With, with what you see with the you know the Echo shows and Google now has their screen out. I think voice and vision in in the terms of these devices. I think yeah, they they actually feed off each other and, and drive customers. You're letting a camera in your bedroom look at everything you do all the time, dude. How is that good? I mean, you put in a wait a minute. You don't know anything. You don't know anything about my bedroom, so I, I prefer you not to talk about my bedroom. All right. <laughs> there are boundaries set on the. Paul, your thoughts on how you would so, read 2018. It, 2018 was the year that forecasting and predictions died. <laughs> which not a single pundit predicted. Actually, that was 2016. <laughs> I, think they, I think they predicted that in 2014, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I'll put it this way. The end of 2018, actually, it's the it's the year that it's the, call it the year that um, I'm going to call it humanization, but it's actually more social conscience. Cor corporate social conscience became more than just uh, a marketing event. Uh, and I mean, you know, I'll give you three instances really quickly, just to show you kind of the direction things are moving anyway. And it's just a direction; it's not there yet. Um, obviously Salesforce's efforts, which I'm writing a long post on, uh, the humanization of Salesforce, what I'm calling it, but it's, uh, it's based on Dreamforce, Mark's speech and the way that was handled, which was essentially, you know, a DNA level. We are engaged in doing social good. Um, you're talking about looking at, say, let's look at some of the other big four guys. Uh, you look at, Microsoft, they just announced a uh, nonprofit accelerator. And I had a long chat with those guys. And it kind of, it's not like philanthropy cloud with Salesforce, it's kind of a different approach, but they've already invested uh, in terms of giving back uh, $1.6 billion in varying things that they're doing. And, uh, and they outlined a lot of that. Some of it is, you know, just straight out giving. Some of it is, yep. as you guys do, free, techno you know, free technology. Some of it is, kind of um, consultation and strategy with nonprofits. Uh, and I guess a lot of it's being done through NetHope. Um, so there's a, a, a significant percentage of, of technology, the technology industry, the Silicon Valley is a wreck, right? A technology industry trying to reshape and reformulate. SAP, another example, they've taken a different tack. If you go back a few years with SAP, they, 
uh, announced, for example, this has got to be, I don't know, six, five, six years ago, they announced a whole thing on carbon footprint and sustainability around that. But the way they couched it was in terms of business profitability, which is exactly not the way to do it. Now, they, they've completely revamped how they're approaching everything and they're looking at supporting the UN's uh, 17 sustainability goals. And it's the, the framework for it is just genuinely doing good. And so in other words, we're seeing that kind of transition kind of across the board. Now, is everybody effective? Is everybody wonderful at it? No, but they're beginning to make the moves, do put in the time, effort, money, and people. And then, Ray, to the point, you, you know, you've got that big um, event on December 10th around, uh, you know, it's not just the history of the internet, you know, the, the celebration of the 50th anniversary with, you know, Vince Cerf and Tim Berners-Lee and you and, uh, and Malin Fung and other, and other people, but it's also around the people-centered internet, it's around turning the internet, the technology of the internet into uh, more of a force for good than it historically has been used for. So this is a real deal. And, you know, and we're seeing it in multiple ways from on the one hand, let's say the more vendor agnostic side, which is kind of stuff you're doing, Ray. And then on the other hand, the more vendor specific side, all of whom are committing to actual genuine corporate social responsibility. So now this is a second half of the year trend. It's not something that I saw a whole lot at the beginning, but it's really starting to generate some, um, some uh, uh, heat now. I mean, we're really starting to see some motion, some serious so, motion. So some year of philanthropy or the year of giving. Kind of, but it's more than that, really. I mean, philanthropy still has a monetary yeah. implication. Sure, only, sure. You know, it's, it's, it is more than that, obviously. Open in the let, me, let me ask but you a question. So, this is all social good, you know, but it's also being generated from the technology sector as opposed to the, you know, historic kind of profit sucking, you know, uh, and, and, and kind of nasty, ugly approach that a lot of it's still taking. There's still that battle going on. I mean, you saw that with um, Proposition C in, in uh, San Francisco on the homeless side. You know, the mayor and, uh, and every other technology company in the area that said anything anyway, meaning Google, Facebook opposed it. And Salesforce and Mark Benioff supported it and it won. It was just a, for those who don't know, it was an initiative to basically help help shelter the homeless ultimately, you know, through a taxation on businesses. And, you know, Facebook and I think Google and others opposed it because, you know, it would hurt them. Uh, and Bennett Mark advocated very strongly and publicly about it and it won. And, but again, it's that same kind of idea that we are a greater force than just some company transacting business. And that's, you know, from my personal history background and everything else, that's really important. And uh, and I think it's just generally important for the world at large, too. And I think that's that. But at the same time, if I if somebody asked me about what 2018 was, I'm still going to say the end of forecasting and predictions. <laughs> predictions. But Paul, going, going back to your thing on, on, you know, humanitizing or whatever you call it, making the world of business human and all that, right? I mean, two things. Uh, number one, no. Uh, number two, as being the Carmagian, self-appointed Carmagian, how is that not really a benefit to the business to actually look like they're human and care about people and all these things? Saying, how is it not? 
a benefit? Yeah. How, how, is it not, how is it not aiding the bottom line and making more profits and making them look better in front of customers and all this stuff? When the world is going to hell in a handbasket, the person who stands up and says, hey, I'm going to put my infinite resources, as long as it's no more than $50,000, to prevent this from happening, how is that not benefiting the business? How is that not a capitalistic move versus actually? I didn't say it wasn't. A business is still a business. I mean, a business, look, institutions are on this planet to do things, right? They're created so that they each have purpose, a purpose. Businesses' purpose is to make money. That's that, But they have, they can do more than that, which is what I'm seeing. But ultimately, there's no reason for them to be a business if they're not going to make money. They're not profit. That's different. Their job isn't to Even though that appears that is common sense, what Esteban said, you could probably count on one hand how many people start their keynotes talking about societal issues versus products or profit or case studies and customer success and so on and so forth. So as much as it does make sense to not to to not talk about not just your what you deliver, but how you help stakeholders, most companies don't. It's just not in their narrative. Now I would argue hey, I'm gonna jump. Now, I would argue maybe what happened with Facebook, maybe the midterm elections, there may have been macro conditions that accelerated the change to that narrative because, frankly, people don't, people don't trust the tech sector as much as they used to. So companies need to proactively talk about who they are and why they do things and, and their mission and core values. Right. Without going into too much detail, Measure C in San Francisco is a layered issue. If you calculate the amount of money San Francisco spends on homeless, that amount of money just spent on homeless is, is a really large number. Um, so people have differing views as to how that should be spent or taxed. Um, different people took different points of view. I'm not sure it was as simple as what was being said, uh, because some people really felt that the amount of money spent already wasn't being spent effectively. It's a huge number, something like 20 to 30% of emergency services goes to homeless already. So the question is, what can you do further upstream to help? Uh, and I think that was that was kind of the discussion. That well, now, now that we've depressed everybody, um, <laughs> yeah, let's, talk, let's talk something different. We never got the Jesus. <laughs> well, Jesus, we're talking Esteban. about Jesus is in Puerto Rico. I mean, that's the no, you know, I think, I think, you know, I think we're sort of saying the same thing, you know, you know I know you, Esteban, you said you love humans, but it could be as simple well, as, a pilot, love, as, the, as the pilot of, of the air, you know, airline, get out and say hello to you. Hey, I'm the one who's going to pilot you, your, you know, your, your fly, you know, the plane and thank you for being a customer. Just as simple as that. I mean, that, that does a lot. I mean, I'm still amazed at how many times you're going through a plane and they don't say hi to you. You know, and they look with those long faces. I mean, oh, just as simple as that. <laughs> so well, no, no, but, 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 this, but this is back to mass personalization, right? So exactly. I check in at a Ritz. Do I want that? I'm not sure all the time, but people expect that, right? It's the Ritz. There's a doorman. Someone comes in. They greet you, right? Some fuzzy dog says hi, right? You walk into, <laughs> like, you know, the registration desk, right? Someone smiles at you, offers you champagne, right? Some people like that. Like, for me... Like I'm even at the Ritz, I don't know if I want that, right? You know just what? mobile check-in. Exactly. Even let me just go straight to the room. I don't want to see anybody. I just want to go straight to the room. I don't want that friction. I don't want to tip the guy on the other side. I don't mind tipping, but I just want to, I, I got to take out my money. I got to give him my luggage. Can I help you? I'm on a phone call. Shut up. I'm trying to get to my room. <laughs> <laughs> so, I told anyways, you. Anyways, that's all. No, but you're right. Yeah, but yeah, it's always yeah. complicated. But the thing is, it is complicated, but if you read Paul Greenberg's last blog, which I was haven't. incredibly 
<laughs> blog on how to completely mess up an experience yeah. at a human level, at a process level, at a no acceptance. That was a great blog. But, 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 I mean, there were so many lessons there that so many businesses, it's almost yeah. like mandatory reading for every company. So, so yeah. here's the blog. I go back to what I was saying, and Esteban is going to consume, you know, that you need to have a consumer model. You know, and you need to be be humanized. You need to you, you need to understand yes. how to use that data to understand who's Paul Greenberg and say hi. How can I help you? And go on. If you mm -hmm. don't have the data, if you don't have the data. You cannot empower your employees. Here, here I'm going to summarize the lessons from um, Paul's blog. Don't try to control the freaking experience. Let the customer do whatever the customer wants to do. Ray wants to go to the room. Uh, uh, you know, Brent doesn't even want to know that there's people at the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, the hotel is just for Brent. They're for Brent and not, nothing else, right? But let them do that. Don't, don't, don't focus on keeping control of things, you know? Yeah, that's right. No, but you're right. Look, ultimately, we do want to, customers should have control over their experiences, no question. But the, at the same time, if they're interacting with a company, the company has to, I hate to put it this way, because it kind of goes back to everything we've said the entire time, but uh, the company has to know enough to, for that to happen, right? I, in meaning... Right. What Ray said isn't the Ritz-Carlton experience, but at the same time, there might be, like when you're sitting at the restaurant, you might want that, right? But on the other hand, when you're on a phone call, you don't want that. Look, I, you saw I wrote a post in direct counter to Best Buy on the Ritz-Carlton and the experience I had there, and it was like staggering at how personal it was. And ultimately, it's just, <laughs> it's not personalization that's different. It's yeah, the, the happy movie I read was really nice, but I, I think the point is that you know it. We, we you never you don't know what our moods are, right? right. We're fickle. We're human. We like right. make crazy decisions. We have different expectations. And you can only right? it's like figure it out. You're never going like to get flying Virgin America. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, Best Buy needed to just simply say, Mr. Greenberg, it's our problem until it's no longer yours. You have to yes. have accountability, and with, yes. and you just have to be empowered to make the right decision at the right time to delight a customer. Um, but the problem is they're not empowering workers or training right. the workers to be able to do that, right? right? Because they hire on the cheap, and that's what they get, right? Yeah. And, and, and you don't necessarily put the training in to help make sure that they can Absolutely. do that. But hey, we're going to jump into lightning round. I'm going to cut in. Lightning round, winners and losers this year in the market. So best product launch, going down the line. God knows. I, I personally have no idea what I would call the best, best product, product launch. Yeah, who launched the best product this year? What was well, the best product? product launch is uh, turkey and weed with uh, a little bit of meat. <laughs> <laughs> best product launch so far. I will, uh, okay, let me start. I will. I will say send this in Latin America. They're okay. doing good. They're doing. They're doing good job launching their product in Latin America. Second, second hotspot and eventually uh, Soho. Talking mid level. Yeah. You know, all the big lights are every, everywhere, you know? So, but, you know, those are the guys that are, you know, making some noises out there. You know, right, best product launch. Anyone else? Anyone else? At a certain level, I won't say it's the best product launch. I would say it was the most uh, surprising was Zoho's coming out party, right? Basically this year, uh, this year. They, they actually finally, after 23 years, emerged from stealth, right? And, uh, and really put themselves out there, right? And other than the airport ads, huh? Exactly. <laughs> other than the airport ads. <laughs> yeah, well, no. They sponsored the Dubs too. That was pretty cool. Uh, I said, can I jump in? Um, best product launch. I'm going off the board. I'm saying the Apple Watch Four. I think they really did it right. 
That was everything you've seen and heard has been so positive. I, I think I actually talked Paul into getting one. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> but I think it was it, they, it was well done. It was a well done launch. I'm going to answer for I'm going to answer for Ray. I'm going to answer for Ray. Best product launch was ServiceNow. <laughs> Logo or launch? Let's start that again. <laughs> anyway, hey, the um. <laughs> so do you use the do you, Brent? Do you use the help? I I've fallen and can't get up. <laughs> A little warning. I haven't, oh, I haven't I? fallen just yet. <laughs> I'm looking forward to my first fall, though. I think, <laughs> All right. I'm looking forward to my Okay, but this is serious. This right. is great. You'd be the last person that I expect, having had, you know, health medical training and health training. Falls is the most expensive part of actually growing old. And as we get getting older and the, the baby boomers continue to grow in age, the, the, the fall prevention is actually something serious. If it well, were I, to was, actually, I, I mean, sure. I thought that was the best feature on the whole thing, using the accelerometer to do X, Y, Z and say, whoa, and then what? <laughs> I mean, look at, look at, look at your screen. For, look at your I'm screen. looking forward to the EKG. Look at your screen. There's four customers right here that will be like, you know, hey, that'd be very cool, actually. <laughs> I just want to know what it does on a roller coaster. All right. Best event. <laughs> uh, I got two. I, uh, Dreamforce, which once again, I thought was, Sem this year I thought it was seminal actually. I think it's kind of a, I can't even, you know how I do event uh, scoring, I can't even score Dreamforce because it can't go anywhere any further than it's gone. You can't, they can't control the crowds, that's out of the question. I mean, there's no, they're not ever, never gonna do well with that, right? Um, it's about as big as you can handle. And, but because of the humanization thing, because of the keynote and because of the way they handled all of it, it was, I'll call it my favorite event of the year. And then the other one for me, which is perennial and specific to me is seat, of course, the sports event. Oh, you, get, you took mine, man. Oh, you were seat. Oh, uh, I was gonna go, I was gonna say seat. Only two can make, well, actually, yeah. <laughs> no, Balam was, was on the panel. Balam, what was your favorite event? <laughs> no. My favorite event of the year was uh, uh, dinner at Tim Brower in Berlin. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very, very I, cool. I Jesus, favorite, oh, sorry, Goff, your favorite. Caliber of folks at seat. I mean, incredibly, uh, you know, a bunch of CIOs representing all the major sports uh, organizations. So it's pretty amazing. Incredibly fun event. Too. And also, wait, I will, Ray, I'm not doing this to kiss your butt, but I really love CCE this year. I did. And I, I, my, it was my favorite sports panel. I mean, the whole thing worked for me. It really did. Everything awesome. about it worked. Those are my old favorite. And David West right, was a Serum Evolution for you, because of you being my favorite this year. Because every time I was there, it was never my favorite. <laughs> oh, <please. laughs> never my favorite. Is this favorite event? I uh, will say the partner uh, for Hotspot, the partner event for Hotspot, uh, full partner oriented. Uh, and, you know, and then I just want to, you know, Dreamforce, but I wish Dream, that for me, Dreamforce needs to turn into something like Netflix. You know, I, I wish I wish I, I can have it on demand during the event, so yeah, I don't have to go because I, I would love to love to take everybody, and the same will be for the other ones, ACP, Oracle, and so on. Yeah, but, but so far, you know, the history has shown us that Dreamforce goes, so, so goes the world. So if Dreamforce does it first, everybody else will do it. All right, all right. Best partnership, best partnership this year. Announcement in the cease in the customer space. Adobe Microsoft is still the best. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. It's the best, without any question. I, mean, I call it the get a room partnership. It's literally, <laughs> I mean, it, I've never seen anything so freaking. I have seen no baby spawn from that partnership. <laughs> no, I, have baby. 
Well, it's just the <laughs> level of DNA that the two are combined at is just astonishing. I mean, it goes down to the architectures. It goes, I mean, literally, they're sitting there in joint development teams, working it out. They're, the the salespeople are fully compensated on both sides of the house. The management is strategically working together at every level, and it's and they really do see soundly, actually quite intelligently, how they fit into each other's ecosystems in the right way. I, I've never seen a part, I've looked, I spent most of my life looking at partnerships and I've never seen a partnership that actually was more closely bonded or tied together and genuinely, gen, both sides genuinely happy about it than that one. Wow, strong statement. Anyone else? I, I can't tell that. No. Oh, wow, we have a winner actually. Silence among a set of <laughs> ruck, ruckus, raucous individuals. All right, best acquisition of the year. Oh, Qualtrics. No, no, no. <laughs> they, they paid half of what they should have paid for that. There's, there's no question. How about the awards? Esteban's in the 40X range for MNR. I'm going to take it to the other side. I didn't like Adobe, you know, you know acquiring Marketo. So. Oh, I, don't, I, don't see, I don't see a fit, you know, uh, you know, I don't see a fit yet in there. Okay. So on the I, other I side. I Calis Clouds, of, when it finally was actually announced, because it was actually, I mean, it finally completed. Calis Clouds acquisition by uh, um, SAP, because it actually literally made them at least the beginnings of competitive, right? Um, with, with that, without it, they were never. Uh, with, with it, they are. Callus Cloud, it changed the company. What about uh, Adobe on the other side, the Magento acquisition? That one was what good. role that could play in the Microsoft Adobe partnership? That could be like a Tinker's the Ever's the Chance kind of thing. Hmm. If anybody out there besides Paul gets that. Moment. I totally get it. And Bala gets it. I was surprised about Salesforce acquiring uh, Datorama. Uh, keep keep it up in the rocket fuel called MuleSoft for Salesforce, but that's all I have. Oh, they, please don't go there, dude, that's because I have enough show left to go in that one. Every meeting. Does anybody put anything? What about the Zendesk buying base? What is that? A sleeper? That's kind of like, uh, like Salesforce buying uh, MuleSoft. It should have happened in 1992. <laughs> It's kind of like Twilio buying SendGrid. But anyways, yes. No, no, that was a good one. That was an excellent one, actually. That was, that was a very strategic acquisition. What about the biggest price tag? Uh, IBM spent quite a bit uh, recently. Right. Look, if IBM bought it, it's not the best of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, 34 billion is a lot of money. Yeah. But, yeah. What is what is well, started the 20x trend? Yeah. They started the 20x trend. So doesn't that mean it could be 9x. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazon bought a lot of stuff too this year when you think about it. Yeah, I did too. I went to Whole Foods last week. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's the best customer story? I mean, we, we sit through all these events. I mean, you guys go through like 50, 60 events a year. We sit through like hundreds of hours of like, you know, briefings. So what was the best customer story you heard? Ray, can you start? I mean, you go to a lot of conferences. What's the best customer event you, you saw? Best customer story? Sorry, best um, customer story. Uh, well, let, let me let me hold on. Let me constrain that a little bit. 
best customer story that A, is not a customer of yours, and B, is not implemented by a vendor that's a customer of yours. If it's not a customer, is that eliminates everybody on the planet. Yeah, <laughs> well, that was a short segment. Thank you. <laughs> you know, seriously, the best story that I heard in a long time, and I still, I still continue to think it's the best story that I've seen, was at CCE two years ago, the guy from UPS that was talking about how he was trying to change the company from the inside out. That's probably one of the best stories that I've seen in a long time. Ken Finnerty. There you go. And, 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 and the funny story about Ken Finnerty was that I, in New York, three years before, I had basically gave a speech on IoT talking about, you know, I have a little thing with a picture. Imagine if you could track down your package, track the driver, and then run to the driver, and then get, pick up your shoes earlier, pick that. up your electronics early. How many people would do that, right? So I did this speech, and he's in the back of the room going, wait, stop. Like, I can't figure out why this guy's waving at me. So afterwards, he comes up to me and he says, Ray, that is the stupidest thing. You don't want people running after the driver. We can divert. We can send it to a lockbox. You can pick up at a UPS store. We can route it somewhere else. But don't have anybody run after the driver. And so and I'm up next. I'm like, shit, I got to introduce this guy. Who? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> out of middle of nowhere. And then two years later, he wins. He wins a supernova award for this thing, right? That is like the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. So uh, and we never put him up to actually filling up the award thing. I mean, he just applied for it. So yeah, that was a very wow. interesting story. That is. And actually, that's that's the, the your story was the same. Uh, I, I talked to you about it when you when you used it. You know, the same day that I wrote the white paper for Gardner back in 2003 with that model, and at the time. The guys from uh, FedEx, UPS, and DHL. Remember DHL? Still exists around the world. The guys from DHL, they, you, they, all three of them called me and said, like, this would never happen. It's impossible. We can never do anything like that. There's no point in actually even talking about it. <laughs> Brent, uh, what, about, what about the 2300 Amazon Go stores that'll go live in the near future? And the fact that rest in peace checkout counters, and you're going to just walk in, walk out, and the totally frictionless experience. Yeah, it finally be 2000. It's called shoplifting at Apple. They don't run after you. Didn't you know that? Apple's afraid to like send guards at you. It's bad PR. Wow. This <laughs> is was going to say something and Bala interrupted him very briefly. Sorry, no. And I thought the question was towards Brent. <laughs> no, but I defer to Jesus. That's okay. Well, you know, one of the things that I look into all these, you know, pre-releases and case studies and all this stuff, you know, all the events is that who's doing really change management? I mean, who's really, you know, putting together people, processes and data you know, and I still believe, I mean, you know, uh, you know, there's tons of good stories out there, but I think the common thing is that people are doing, you know, first technology, but at the same time, they're driving the strategy, you know? So that's, that's the common element that I see in most of these, you know, good stories out there. People who are doing both at the same time, I think they're doing okay. And actually, if you want good customer stories, Jesus is doing stuff that uh, is not highlighted by vendors, but it's like miles ahead of what any vendor can do today. Man. And it's all done because he puts in the work and he does the, 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 the groundwork to make it happen. So you want a good case study, talk to Jesus. This one. Or that no. one, you have to tune into our Spanish version of, of Conversaciones de CRM. So, uh, I'm talking about this Jesus, not that one. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> anyone else? Last words, anyone? So. Thank you. Last Thank, words you Thank you. <laughs> That's it. No, I'm just, All right. I'm, you know what? Last words, December 10th. Every, why don't you uh, fill people in a little on that? It's last words. 
Great. Well, hey, you know, we are talking about the digital economy and CRM and where it fits. And when we think about it, what runs on the digital economy is data and it's personal data. So the event is really on the 70th. It's on the date of the 70th anniversary of the Declaration of Human Rights by the UN. That's why we chose December 10th, despite my CAO going nuts. It's the worst time of the year ever to throw an event. Don't ever do this again. Um, but the whole point is really to take the future of the internet, bring the leaders there, talk about what the internet is. Is it still a force for good, force for evil? What can we do? And really highlight the issue of human rights in a digital age. What does it mean? And so there's a program put together. We've got Ben Surf and Tim Berners-Lee uh, talking about the, how we got here to the internet and along with other internet pioneers. And then the World Economic Forum is also going to be unveiling their digital economy and society paper at the event uh, during the gala dinner. And the United Nations has recognized this as a, an official UN event to celebrate the 70th anniversary of human rights. It's also going to be live streamed across all the California universities through CNIC. Um, and the UN website will also have the live stream as well as we're getting that onto the World Economic Forum page. So it's a pretty big deal. We expect about two to 300 people right now. Um, and of course, it's an all day event in December 10th. Uh, you can find it on the Constellation website. So thanks a lot, Paul, for the- uh, That's awesome. And I'll be there, so, you know. I'll be there, I'll be there as well. <laughs> I put in a little so, plug? Yes. Yes? Actually, next week before your event, it's on the 5th here in Atlanta, uh, in conjunction with Salesforce's uh, World Tour Stop here in Atlanta. Uh, I'm actually uh, hosting a Diversity in Tech Summit Town Hall uh, as part of the uh, Atlanta World Tour Stop. So it's gonna be really cool. Uh, the featured panel is uh, executives on the diversity inclusion side for Facebook, Salesforce, and Google. But the coolest part is the fireside chat I'm gonna have with Grant Hill. So that is what I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Oh, by the way, my final word, when we were waiting for you, Paul came up with the perfect name for a band, is Grant Hill and the the diversity officer. Okay. Episode 130, Brent Leary Partner, CRM Essentials at Brent Leary, B-R-E-N-T-L-E-A-R-Y. Esteban Kalski, you can't follow him. You can't find him. He's not on social media. You can only see him live here exclusively on Disrupt TV. Jesus Hoyos, managing partner and founder at Solvus Consulting. You can find him at J-E-S-U-S underscore H-O-Y-O-S. And of course, the only one and only Paul Greenberg, author, founder, and managing principal at the 56 Group at P Greenby. G-R-E-E-M-B-E. -E -E. So thanks, episode 130. Thanks for being on the show. Happy Friday. And of thanks course, everyone. final word on CRM. So thank you guys. Thanks That's everyone. Amazing. Thank you. All right, Vala, one more show to the end of the year. What yes. Have? What's going on? Episode uh, before we go to the last show, I just want to say 3127 Patriots Rams Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to get that in there. Now, so. we, we're going to reverse what happened years ago, okay? <laughs> uh, we are going to have Mailing Fung next week as Ray and I and Mailing will talk about the December 10th event. Again, we have the inventors of the web, the inventors of the internet. We have some of the greatest minds, and we're going to talk about people centered in it, our digital future, as Ray mentioned, again, World Economic Forum, UN. The media coverage for this is going to be incredible. And of course, the most viewed stream will be my Periscope stream <laughs> in front of all the keynote stage areas. So, so uh, we'll, we'll talk about that then. And right now, we'll reflect on, uh, you know, next week will be 131 episodes. We've cleared 300 
unique guests. We've learned a lot throughout the year. And we're also going to solicit your feedback about 2019. We want to bring people on this show that you want to hear from. So we're going to work with our producer and find ways to collaborate more with you so that we can shape our narrative and our stories and our storytellers based on your feedback. Again, we believe that we have such a strong network of, of, of fantastic thought leaders that if you tell us you want someone on the show, we will do our best to get that person on the show. So anyway, that's, that's kind of a recap show next week. Ray, your final thoughts. You just gave me a great idea. We should just be periscoping this show live onto your Periscope feed every week. I, you know, there's just pretty <laughs> following. Uh, but I promise you, Ray, the most views will come from my stream on December 10th. <laughs> I know, I know. That's this is awesome. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for being on. Happy Friday. And of course, you can follow all this stuff on December 10th on the hashtag, our digital future. So thanks a lot, everyone. Happy Friday. And uh, see you next week. See you, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.